that attitudes affect everything. Now, Paul, Paul writes this in the book of Philippians. He says that uh, we each need to put on the same attitude that Jesus Christ had. Right? Even though he was God, he didn't worry about people thinking that he was equal to God. Now, let that sink in for a second. Right? He wasn't worried about what people were thinking about him. Instead, instead, he made himself the least of everyone. And he took on the same skin as you and me and experienced everything that we experienced. And then he served us. And he continued to serve us and be obedient until he died. And that was a gruesome death on the cross. Wow. Paul says that we each need to put on the same attitude that Jesus had. Because attitude affects everything and everyone. Well, today we're going to move on and we're going to look at verse 4. Now, verse 4 talks about um, that those rooms are richly filled, right? That there's all kinds of goodness in there. So it shouldn't come as any surprise as we look at the letters M and I, that we're going to talk about the words money and investment. Money and investment. Now, that's unless you spell family like I did on the back of the little Mother's Day cards, in which case there is no I on the back of those cards, right? And so you can just drop off one of those and just have family, right? It's not family, but family, right? That's like maybe it's a southern thing, right? We just kind of blend things together. Uh, you know, we reckon that kind of happens. Yeah, so I got a little bit of a laugh from that one. Okay, I appreciate that. Thank you. <laughs> Whew, much better. All right, so in. M today is what we're going to talk about, and we'll talk about I at the very end, but M means that we have to master the money monster. We have to master the money monster. Now, money and financial stress has become one of the top three leading causes of families dissolving today. One of the top three. You know, I, I have to be honest that I think when you don't have the right foundation in place, we don't have the right kind of attitudes in place that money becomes this monstrosity that is too burdensome for people to carry. And so it does become this stress point between relationships that stresses things out and that causes things to crumble. Which is part of the reason why, as we talked about this, it's third on our list that it comes after you've built a good foundation, after you've developed attitudes to protect things, that then you begin to say, how do we tackle this other thing that matters in the life of our family? Now, I was interested to learn this week, maybe you will be too, that Jesus talked more about money than he did about heaven and hell combined when he was here in his ministry on earth for three years. In fact, 15%, so that's more than one out of 10 times that he opened his mouth to teach on something, it was about money and how to manage money. I was like, I was blown away by that. I was like, that seems like that's a, a large amount of teaching to go there. And churches today, I have to be honest, I get scared, and I know other people do, to talk about money. Because money is messy, right? It's this highly emotional topic. And when somebody says they're going to talk about money, we all go, oh, I don't know. All he just wants my money. That's all he's after, all this stuff. I'm not, all right? Just hold on. Don't, don't go there with me for just a second. But I understand that because money mangles our perceptions of things. Money mangles our perception of things. 
doesn't have to. It doesn't have to mangle our perception of each other, right, inside of our marriages. It doesn't have to mangle our perception of the church. It doesn't have to mangle your perception of me, all right? So don't let this mangle your perception of me by the time we're all said and done today, just because we're going to talk a little bit about money. But we're not going to take my word for it, as the old Green Rainbow commercial used to say, right? You don't take my word for it. Let's look at what Jesus had to say. We're going to look in the Sermon on the Mount. We've been bouncing out of that from Proverbs into Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. So Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 24. We'll put it up on the screen, but if you've got your Bibles, look at it with me. Matthew 6, 19 through 24. <clears throat> it says this. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. By the way, interesting thing right here. When it talks about thieves breaking in, like we think about stealing, like, you know what I mean, like kicking the door down, breaking the window open. Literally, literally, this meant that they were cutting a, a hole in the wall. They were cutting a hole in the wall. They were digging in, is what the word is in. Now, I think it's interesting because a couple weeks ago we talked about the foundation that was laid, right? It talked about how is it you're supposed to dig in. And I was like, what an interesting contrast that Jesus did right there, where we're supposed to lay a foundation by digging in, but these steal everything by digging in too. I was like, hmm, interesting. So, but instead, lay up for yourself treasures in heaven, where neither moths and rust destroy, or where thieves cannot break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Then he goes on, he says, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. And then the light in you, if then the light in you is darkness, oh, how great is that darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Let's pray. God, I pray that you would help us today. Pray that you would help us to take on and to master the money monster that we're going to talk about that exists in, inside of each of our, our lives. God, I pray that we would take the challenge of how to invest and that we investigate how it is that we are investing and we compare what we need to do in order to invest the way that you called us to. God, I pray more than anything that you would give us wisdom as we tackle this tough topic, this messy topic that's emotional and can mangle all kinds of things. The God that we would hear from you on how you want us to handle our money, our finances, and our investments. We just give you all the glory and honor in your name. Amen. Well, let me tell you what this conversation is not going to be. All right? Because a lot of times whenever I was growing up and the preacher decided to talk about money, <coughs> you would end up in this kind of conversation. There is a right way and a wrong way to handle your money. Right? And then you would begin to hear things like, the right way to handle your money is, is that you give 10% and a tithe to the church. Then you should take the next 10% and put it into savings, and then the next 10% should go into future expenses that you're planning on, 
And then you should be living off of 70% of your income. And then they would continue on. And they would say, if you're not doing this, you're not following God's will for your life. And you're not trusting God with your finances. Now, here's the problem with that. I think that falls incredibly short. I think that falls short of what God's plan for us and for our finances is. And our conversation today is going to be something different than that. Because, well, let's be honest about this for a second. We recognize something as a church about how each of us are designed and created. We go, you are designed differently than me. <clears throat> Makes sense, right? And then we start talking about spiritual gifts, right? If you don't know what spiritual gifts are, when you become a follower of Jesus and you begin to invest into the church and using um, the things that he's talented you with, gifted you with, those are some of the spiritual gifts that you have. It's also some very specific things that are designed to help the church body to grow and to increase, to become more like Jesus. Something that's given. But you know what? Here's what's great. Your gifts are not the same as my gifts. We understand that. Generically speaking, we understand that there's a difference between those things. We understand, more recently, that love languages, right? If you've read the book, The Five Love Languages, which we're going to talk a little bit about next week, if you haven't, great, come back next week, because we're going to talk about love next week. But if you have, then you know, hey, we all love differently. There's a couple of different categories of what that looks like, but I'm not created to love the same way that Will is created to love. He expresses it differently than I do. And we understand that. But then when it comes to money, we say, nope, there's one right way and one wrong way that we're supposed to do this. And I think that falls incredibly short. Now, this week as I was um, preparing for this passage, I came across um, a book by a guy named Tommy Brown. The book was called The Seven Money Types. The Seven Money Types, right? <clears throat> because the truth is, is that, let me back up for a second. I skipped this great truth, and they've left it on the screen for me in the back. Here's the great truth of the day. We don't all look at money the same way. We don't. And I'm not going to convince you to look at money differently just by staying up here for the next 35 minutes. Right? It's not going to happen. So I want you to know that I understand that you and I look at money and resources and wealth differently today. All right? Than each other. Now, I've gotten all of my notes. Hang on a second. Take a deep breath. My notes got mixed up this morning as we were bringing along in. And so I'm not sure that I'm taking an order here on stuff. I told my wife they were in order, but I don't know that I told the same, the same truth. Very good. Okay, I know where we're at. <coughs> so, Tommy Brown's book, let's just move, we'll just jump over there. We'll put it up on the screen. Tommy Brown's book, The Seven Money Types. This was an interesting book for me. He said, hey look, there are seven different money types that I see in the Old Testament through seven different characters that exist inside of it. And he said each one of them um, did something a little bit differently with their money and their resources and how it is that they view things. He said, if you took Abraham, right, he viewed it differently than his son Isaac did. <coughs> if you looked at David, he viewed resources differently than um, like uh, Aaron did or Moses did. They all had different ways that they viewed their resources and used them. And here's the great thing about that, is that each one of them were able to reflect back an image of who God is through the way that they use their resources and their finances. 
Right? That's what's important. If God designed each one of us differently, then we should be seeking to reflect back the image of who he is through our resources and our finances. Now, usually when we talk about money, we go, oh, he's the saver, she's the spender. Right? Or in my case, in my family, she's the saver. Right? I can send my wife, I can give her $100, I can give her a credit card, and send her into a store. And you know what I know at the end of sending her into that store? She's going to come back out with the $100 bill or with the credit card having spent nothing because she is the saver inside of our home. Right? That doesn't make me the spender, by the way. All right? But she is definitely the saver in our home. In fact, um, this last week, she um, updated her phone and she um, had to put back in all of the passwords to all of our bank accounts and credit cards and all those sorts of things. And I knew that the moment that she put all of those in, I was going to get a phone call. You guys ever had that moment where you know that that's going to happen? Oh, I knew it. And sure enough, the moment, the moment that she got all the accounts back up, hello? Hey, Charles, I am looking at our expenses here over the last uh, couple of weeks, and I noticed, did you? Yes. Did you? Yeah. Why did we? Yeah. <laughs> I knew that we were going to have that conversation. My favorite one, though, had to be um, our, our house changed over on um, who's in charge of the mortgage. And so the new mortgage company has this really weird, interesting name. And so we had this massive expense for something that she'd never seen before. And she was like, why in the world did we spend all this money for this? Who is that? And I was like, that's our new mortgage company. <laughs> oh, okay. But she is totally the saver inside of our homes. And I know that and appreciate that. Now, can you imagine if we lived in a world where she was right and I was wrong about how we looked at money? Can you imagine what kind of fights would happen inside of that? Because she's the saver and I'm not maybe as much of a saver as she is about how it is that I view money. I think maybe we should use some of it because it doesn't really go with us at the end of all time on stuff. Yeah, fights are going to happen when you have those conflicting views with each other on stuff. Is her view on money good? You better believe it is. Because we probably wouldn't have any money in the bank if we didn't have her saver mentality on stuff. She helps us out tremendously. Right? But, at the same token, there's other things that we wouldn't have and wouldn't get taken care of if you didn't have me doing the things that I do and the things that I take care of. And I will guarantee you that my child, I have bought her love. All right? My, my wife gives me a hard time about this. She's like, you just bought her child off. I'm like, I agree to have. It's true. <laughs> I, I have bought off all of her love with everything that I can possibly do. But, in the same way that we don't all look at money that and we're not all designed the same way, it's good for the body, for the entire church, for us not to have the same view on money. And you say, wait a second, does that mean I can do whatever I want and just call it my view on money? Right? That seems like a good free license on all of that. Well, let's look at what, look back at verses 22 and 23, because Jesus uh, taught something right here, and it's really interesting. He says, the eye is the lamp of the body. The eye is the lamp of the body. He says, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. I read that three times. Three times this week. And it was like, 
what in the world did Jesus just say? What does this have to do with money? Right? I mean, the passage right before he was talking about money, the passage right after he was talking about money, this is sandwiched in the middle. And so maybe this is about money? I don't really know. I was like, I was baffled. I spent a lot of time checking on this and reading on it. And you know, number one, I think you can probably understand everything that we read without really understanding these two verses. Right? We understand that the verses above say, hey, we should be careful about what we're investing our resources into. And the verses below it says, hey, look, you can't let money be what's in charge of your life. Great. But what about these two that sit in the middle? I think that they help us to avoid something and avoid a word that is called asceticism. Asceticism means that um, I'm going to lay aside all of my earthly worth and value. And in doing so, that makes me more precious to God, right? So in other words, I will become poor so that God will like me more, right? Yeah, that seems crazy when you say it like that. But there are people who think that way. They're like, oh, right, what this is all talking about is, is that God wants me to give away everything that I have. I'm not supposed to, I'm supposed to be poor and destitute and rely on everybody else, and, I'm, and that's faith in God. And I'm going to tell you, that's not what he's saying. And I think these verses right here are the ones that are supposed to help us understand that that's not what Jesus is teaching. Let's dig into this moment right here on me. Because the eye, the eye is how we view things, right? Now, Amber is one of my science teachers in the room. Aaron Johnson's not here. He's another science teacher that's usually in the room for us. Um, and you guys know this already, but our eyes view and perceive things through what we call rods and cones. Right? Rods and cones, they, they let the light into the eye, and that is the perception of things, and the image reflection that takes place is based off of those. Um, and it gets really, really complicated after that, so I just stopped right there with that one, rods and cones. And that perception helps us actually to define color. Now, this week as I was on Facebook reading my, my stories this week and saying up today, one of my friends posted, there's a new viral picture that's been going around for a couple of months about some tennis shoes. Have you seen this yet? These tennis shoes that are on there, and they're like, so are these tennis shoes uh, gray and teal or white and pink? And it was like the old dress conversation. If you guys remember the, the old dress that was on Twitter and social media several, uh, several, I don't know, a couple years ago, it was this white and gold dress or a black and blue dress, and it's all about light perception and sensitivity. All right? It was all about how much light was getting to your eyes based off of the fabric, and so you were able to perceive the colors that were going on based on the light that was coming in. And I thought that was really, really interesting because this teaching is all about the same thing because the eyes are the only organ in your body that lets light in. No other organ in your body lets light in. And if the eye is healthy, if it's able to perceive things, then you have the possibility for your entire body to be healthy. Because your eyes, if they can perceive and see and view things, not only will they keep you out of trouble, but they can perceive when something is going wrong on your body. And so it helps you to stay healthy. Now, generally, when somebody starts looking at this passage, and when I looked at lots of different people that were teaching on it, they use this as a, as a really large sense of be careful little eyes what you see. Right? It's an old preschool song that uh, we sang in church growing up. Oh, be careful little eyes what you see. 
So be careful in life what you see, because the Father of above is looking down below. Don't judge my singing, by the way. Right? <laughs> and oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. But I think Jesus is talking not just in this general sense about what we perceive and what we consume with our eyes. But I think he's talking very specifically about how it is that we view our money. How we view the resources and the financial things that he's given to us. And if we have the right kind of view, or if we have the wrong kind of view. If we have the right kind of view, it's a view that reflects back to God the image that he has created us with. If it's the wrong kind of view, it reflects back our sinful nature that's inside of us. And by the way, Jesus' warning at the end of this says that if you have no life in your body, right, if the eye is bad, it doesn't perceive the light at all, that your whole body will be full of darkness, and oh, what a darkness that will be. So each of these different money types that are talked about, had some aspect of reflecting back to God about who he is. So Abraham, let me put up on the, on the screen here some of these different characteristics. Abraham <coughs> has the, the, this characteristic of hospitality about him. So if you scored high on the Abraham score, if you were to go take this test, by the way, you can take it online. It'll automatically score it for you online um, at TommyBrown.org, right? And so <coughs> he has hospitality on one side. Here's the other side of it, though. The other side of it is, is that um, it's self-reliant. Is that you don't rely on, if, if Abraham was to take all the things that God has blessed him with and he could think, you know what? I, got, I can do this all on my own. I don't need to be helped by anybody else. I'm okay with helping other people, but I don't need to help anybody else. Some of the other types that are on there, uh, oh yeah, uh, how about, my second type was uh, David down there. Leadership, right? They use their money to, to help uh, others and to invest in other people around them. Um, but that side, other side of that is selfishness. Or how about Joseph? They use their resources to make connections with other people, uh, to build relationships with things. Um, or the flip side of that is, is that they're a manipulator. You know, as I read through the book, I was like, I don't even have to take the, the exam to figure out who I am because I know what the money monster looks like in my life because I fight against self-sufficiency, I fight against selfishness, and I fight against being a manipulator. Isn't that a great thing for pastors to say about himself? That's who my money monster looks like. The truth is, is that most of us, if we figure out or look at that combination and know, here's what my monster looks like that I fight constantly, then we go, now how do I, instead of feeding that monster, how do I feed a side that reflects who God is in my life? You know, one day, I, uh, I'm probably going to come back and do a, a series on uh, the money monster. <clears throat> on mastering the money monster, I think that would be uh, interesting. Because Jesus said this, he said, in the very next verse that he talks about 
this oh woe to the darkness that's inside. He says, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. He says, you cannot serve both God and money. And, you know, I think the question that I have from that is, is why not? Why could somebody really not serve both God and money? But why is the story of a little boy? A little boy that had um, a pet monster. Fake story. Good story, though. Had a pet monster. And so every day, he took care of that monster, and he fed the monster. He brought it some food, and, and the monster began to grow. And the little boy was so excited about the little monster as he grew up. And he was like, this little monster will take care of everything for me. And so every day he would bring the monster what he needed to be able to grow. And as the monster grew, he became more demanding. And he demanded more from the boy. And so the boy began to bring him more food and feed him more stuff and more things. And the monster continued to grow. He continued to demand more and more and more. And the boy began to all of his efforts and all of his time was just about taking care of the monster. And finally one day, the boy decided that he was going to stand up to the monster. They've been feeding all of this time because he just couldn't take it anymore. And that was the end of the boy. Because you see, whatever it is that we feed into, right, is what grows and gets stronger and eventually can take things out. And if I never do preach a, a, a Money Monster and Mastering Money Monster series, maybe it'll be a couple years from now, I don't know. Um, but here's what I think we should know. Here's what I think the keys to mastering the money monster is. Here's the first one. We need to know how it is that we are made. We need to understand how it is that we are made. What is it that we are designed? What is our natural inclination as we view money and resources? Because if we begin to understand that, then we can make the determination about number two. How to make known the maker. How to make known the maker. We can begin to choose, am I going to make known myself or am I going to make known him through the way that he has naturally designed me and created me to be? You see, I think if we fail to do either of those two things, then what we risk is being mastered by the money monster. Being mastered by the money monster. Because in reality, money is really just a means to the end, right? It's not the end-all, be-all of stuff. And if it does become the end-all, be-all, then it will be our end. But not only do we need to master the money monster, here's the second thing that I still need to talk about. We can't ignore our investment. We can't ignore our investments. Instead, instead we must do this with our, we must um, in invest intelligently, right? We must invest wisely with things. Now, it's pretty obvious that Jesus starts off by talking about where not to invest, right? He says, don't lay up your treasures in, in, in earthly things, instead in heavenly stuff. Now, I love this. On down, in chapter 6, verse 32, Jesus says that the Gentiles seek after all of these things. By the way, we are the Gentiles that are in this passage. We seek after all these things. And he says, but your heavenly father knows that you need them all. So he doesn't say, don't seek after these things. He doesn't say it's wrong 
to have these things. He says the Father knows that you need them all. He says, but instead, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you. So here is the investment strategy for Jesus followers. All right? We talk, I talk about this a lot with my friends that are pastors, all right? because there's a massive pastor trap that exists. And here's the investment strategy. It's God first, family second, right? ministry third. Now, some of you, you have one more field that exists there, and that's your job. And the job should be for it. Now, you go, well, why do you guys talk about that as pastors all the time? Because here's what happens as pastors. We understand that God is supposed to be first. And then we go, our ministry and job, they're kind of the same thing. And so we're going to combine those together, and those are really, really important. In fact, those are next to God, and so we're going to move those up in the chart. And we're going to neglect our families. You know, the, the sad truth is, is that you don't have to administer to move any of those things around. It's real easy to say that I want to uh, do really, really well in my job for my family. So I'm going to sacrifice my investment in my family now and move up what my job is or what my ministry is. And sometimes we even say, I'm going to shift down God Right? In my list of priorities of investment. And God says, no, that's not the plan. He said, seek me first and all of my righteousness. And then all of these other things will be added unto you. They're all going to line up. Now, I'd be really honest with you. This is not some sort of an easy equation when it comes to how am I supposed to invest in these sort of things. It's not like a one-third, 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 or a one-fourth, 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 right? I mean, if I only took um, of my waking hours, one-fourth of my time for my job, that'd be about 26 hours a week. I don't think that I could provide enough for my family for them to survive on 26 hours a week, all right? Some of you, maybe so. Maybe you have a really great job, right? That's great. But most of us, that's probably not the case. And so I'm not saying to you, hey, you need to invest the majority of your time into one of these four categories, and that's how this all works out. It's not that kind of a simple equation on stuff, but I do, I have a friend that uh, their church just launched what they're calling the 5% life. The 5% life. And I really like what they did with this, so I'm going to share with you what they shared with me about how to do an investment that um, is God-honoring in your life. And so we have a picture of their, of what they have for, the, for this. And, of course, here's their statement alongside it. They say, our relationship with God, with other believers, and with the world will grow as we invest time in strategic ways. Right? And here's what they said about a 5% life. They said, number one is God time. They said, if you'll spend 1% of your day in God time. Right? When we say God time, that is reading our Bibles and prayer. You know what 1% of your day is? 15 minutes. 1% of your day is 15 minutes. And they said, do that first. I don't mean first of your day, but do that first. And they said, if you would spend 1% of your week in gather time, right? This is our gathering place. Our three things that we say the church is about is gather, grow, go. This is gathering together of the body, right? And so gathering is 90 minutes a week. That is 1% of your week. 90 minutes a week is 90% of your week, or is 1% of your week. 
And they said, group time. We need other people. We need to grow in sort of those things. They said, if you would spend 1% of your month, 1% of your month in group time, that comes down to about three, three and a half hours, 1% of your month. And then finally, they said, go time. If you would spend 2% of your year, 2% of your year, which is about seven days in go time. You go, wait, wait. It was one, one, one. Why do you jump to 2% all of a sudden? Well, because we think there are two different places that you should be going. One, you should be going locally. And two, you should be going um, worldwide. Now, we understand that not everybody can go worldwide every single year on stuff. And so we say, look, if that means that you're investing that 2% locally this year, seven days, that you're thinking with future terms about how do I impact the ends of the earth with the gospel like Jesus has commanded us to do, then great. Next year you use those five, six days in order to go um, worldwide. And we will have some of those kind of opportunities coming up here in the next 12 months um, that we'll begin to talk about, about what are some places that we can be going uh, to share the gospel with the entire world. Now, 5%. This is what they said. 5% is what we should focus on about how it is that we invest our time, energy, and efforts. And here's what they said about it. I like it. They said that if we get the first 5% right, that they believe it will change the other 95%. If we get the first 5% right, it will change the other 95%. I think they're right. Here's my conclusion. My conclusion about investment is that we should not invest like the rest, but instead, we need to invest like the best. We don't need to invest like the rest of the world who says, oh, what's most important is, is that I pour all of my energies and efforts into my workplace. No. So we need to save some of that for our families. We need to save some of it. <coughs> we need to give some of it to God. That's investing like those that are the best. And I think, I know, that when we begin to invest like that, it does change our families and helps us to be the best family and the kind of family that reflects who God is to the world around us. Let's pray. Father, I'm so glad that you are a God who is in charge and a God who is in control. And God, I know that when it comes to, to money and investment strategies, that I, I am not a financial guru. God, I thank you for the way that you've created me. God, that you've used some archetypes of, of hospitality and leadership and connection. I pray that I would use that to magnify your name and reflect back who you are. So glad that you're not just one thing. You're not just disciplined. God, you are not uh, just frugal or a saver. God, that you are beautiful and you're also a connector that wants to engage with me right now. There are so many facets of who you are. 
helped me. But it also helped me to invest in a way that brings glory and honor to your name. Always be